Thanks. All right. <laughs> Don't <laughs> listen. It was it was emotional already for me when I was downstairs and I ended up crying. The my eyes turned red, um, and I started sweating. And uh, yeah, so all the all the I haven't sweat for two months. When I come back, I start sweating. So it's great to be back. But let's let's act like I haven't been gone, and then I won't be nervous. <laughs> It's wonderful to be. I can't tell you how glad we are to be back. We have we have had the most wonderful time. Um, it just has been totally refreshing for us. God has just ministered to Chris and I in such a a, a wonderful way, a, a, a unique way. Um, I want to thank our church for giving us the opportunity, making it possible for us to take a break, um, to be able to have two months off. Uh, you know, after fourteen years, that, that's. It's remarkable. It's, it's remarkable. It's wonderful. Um, and my staff has done an unbelievable job of absolutely running everything. Pastor Dan in particular, uh, I wanted to say thank you and give a shout out to. He has just uh, unbelievably managed um, our staff and his church and uh, taking care of everything, uh, leaving me coming back without any, any worries whatsoever. Um, just, just phenomenal. I, our board... Um, the board just absolutely uh, just stepped up and, and just said, Pastor, just want to bless you and take care of you and just made it possible. I, I'm so grateful for, for the leadership that surrounds my life and that watches over us. And then ultimately, I'm going to tell you this. Um, I, I, was, I was talking to Dan. We had breakfast this morning. And I told Dan, I says, it's, here's the deal. If I wasn't a pastor, I would go to church and I would go to our church. I, I have visited some tremendous churches over the last 60 days in several parts of the country. Uh, I, I, this isn't to take away anything from any place else, but I would just say to you, God is, um, God is here in a unique way, and, and JFC is just, it's a special place, and I love, I love this body. I love this group of people. I love what God is doing here, and I couldn't wait, as, as good as it was to have the break, I couldn't wait to be back. I couldn't wait to be here tonight. Um, we're just excited and just, hey, it's good to see you. It's good to be home. So uh, without any further ado, if you grab your notes, um, we'll jump into this real quick. It is called Heroes. We've obviously been in the series. Um, I want to thank all the staff for, for um, just keeping everything uh, where coming back into it was such an easy thing to do. My message tonight is on David. Uh, I have said, I don't know if it, maybe it's just my hearing and I haven't done it now. For I've only spoke one time. In 60 days, I had committed to speaking at a conference long before uh, the sabbatical had come up, and I didn't feel like I could cancel on the conference. So I've, I've spoke one time in, in 60 days. Uh, I'm not used to hearing my voice, but right now it sounds like it's in, in does it sound a little funny or something? So maybe, maybe it's a little, I'm back in pet peeves. <laughs> the OCD is back. Okay, uh, so, so going to speak on... Uh, David tonight, maybe one of my favorite, uh, other than Jesus, I would say David's probably my, my favorite uh, character from the Bible to talk about. I admire David's heart. I admire the stories 
that, that I read in the Bible. I, anybody else just enjoy? Uh, David's just one of those guys, his, his character and uh, just his exploits, they very much are things that are um, very appealing to me. In my notes, uh, you can see right there, I wrote down, I, I looked at the idea of what I teach from David being a young man, what I teach from David being a middle-aged man, or what I teach from David being an older man. Uh, all, of those, all of those things are in um, in the scriptures, and you can find them. I just thought, uh, rather than pick an age, I would talk about my admiration for him and the things that I find uh, to be very appealing um, when it comes to, uh, to David. So I um, thought that that's probably the place that I would jump in at and, and start at. Um, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me maybe go this way. Um, you know, over the last 60 days, uh, in visiting some churches locally, and then uh, in the country, a couple different places. You know, one of the things that I really am excited about, I know if you watch news, um, the news makes it seem like everything around us is just getting worse and worse and worse. And I guess in some ways that's true. But can I tell you that God is moving in more profound ways today than ever before in the history of man. And I I witnessed in so many different places God doing uh, such incredible things right now. Um, there, there's, a, um, there's a story where Jesus is with the disciples. And they come into Caesarea Philippi. And you remember that Jesus turns to the disciples and he said, who do people say I am? Anybody remember the story? And, and the disciples answer him. Some say you're Elijah. And some, they name this prophet. They name that prophet. Um, and then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, but who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And you remember Jesus said, you are blessed because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but this has been revealed by God in heaven. And then he makes the statement that upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You remember that story right there? Okay, now a lot of people think, okay, that's the start of the Catholic church right there. That's when Jesus told Peter, you're the rock and upon you, I'm going to build my church. And certainly I can see why some people look at that and take it to mean that. Here's my understanding of that right there. Upon the revelation that Jesus is the son of God, the church can build. And with that knowledge, with that understanding, with that authority, with that power, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the knowledge Jesus is the Son of God. And if we operate with that, man, there is power, there is authority, and there is anointing for the church to move in that right there. And so what I witnessed over the last 60 days in churches where I really felt like the Holy Spirit was doing something was that, that divine understanding that he is... They're not questioning things like, you know, is... is is he really God? Is he, is he really moving today? Is he really the authority today? Places that are embracing Jesus is it. The Holy Spirit's doing something fantastic. And um, in that, I, I, uh, I got thinking if, if, if we really are, if the gates of hell are not going to prevail against us. Um, I told this, this story um, Last year, I, I, I like watching Animal Planet. Anybody else? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the most exciting person in the world. I, I have a real routine in my life. Um, and Animal Planet's one of those things that just, I just enjoy watching and get a lot out of it. Um, I, I, I made mention, and some of you may remember this, um, what do you call a group of rhinoceros? 
Do you remember? A, a crash. C-R-A-S-H. A crash. I, I, while I was gone, I found an interesting book. Listen to this title. An Exaltation of Larks. Does that tell you how boring I am? <laughs> Here's what the book's premise is. It gives you the names of what a group of things is. Okay? A group of cattle is called a... Very good. (laughs) A group of birds is called a... A group of fish is called a... A group of lions is called a... Very good. Bees are a... Swarm. A group of flamingos is called a flamboyant. A group of buzzards is called a committee. Yes, sir. If we ever ask you to join a committee, we're saying something to you. But the one that I had seen on that program is that the guy said that a group of rhinoceros is called a crash. And sure enough, I picked up this book, and the reason I picked up the book is I wanted to find out, is that really what they're called? And here's the reason they're called that. They weigh 6,000 pounds. They can run 30 miles an hour, but they can only see 30 feet. (laughs) So imagine something that weighs three tons. Moving 30 miles an hour, but only seeing 30 feet at a time. My question to you is, do you think the rhinoceros worries about what's at 31 feet? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure the, the rhinoceros has no concern. It's really the crash E. needs to worry. I'm just, like, really impressed with the idea right now that the church is called to be running full steam ahead right now and not worried what 31 feet looks like. That when the Bible says, upon this knowledge, this revelation, this understanding, I'm going to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, we are supposed to be that thing that is so tight, so compact, so put together, that it is supposed to start running and not... What's on the other side is supposed to worry. We're not supposed to worry. Somehow today, we've ended up in this place. We're very technically afraid to be moving and to be trying and to be out there going. It's like we don't want to offend or hurt. And I think God is like waving the flag, saying, go. Begin to pursue. Begin to see yourself as a force to an invisible violence, if you will. Not to be worried about the enemy and his kingdom, but to run and to crash and allow him to begin moving the church in a profound way. I, when I'm thinking about David, I'm thinking David probably lived his life very much with the idea, I'm just, I'm going to run for God. I'm going all in. I'm, nothing held back. No, no holds barred. Let's, let's get after it. And that appeals to me very much. I, you know, 
while gone, I turned 48. I don't, I don't want to slow down. I want it now to start multiplying and mattering more than ever before. Does anybody else feel like that right now? So I think prophetically, God is calling the church to become the church. To really see yourself that the gates of hell are not going to prevail. To not allow ourselves to constantly be beaten back, shut down, put away, on a shelf, embarrassed, quiet. But to run, folks. Look at David and my admiration for David. I put down these things that I feel like really appeal to me about David. I think... I think this is probably the one that most people are familiar with. The Bible says that David had a heart after God. You got a pen out or a marker out. I hit that one. It's important. In Acts chapter 13, and recognize it's New Testament, this is Paul making comment. It's telling the story that after Saul was removed as king of Israel, the Bible says that he made David their king. And he testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now, if it stopped right there, I think everybody's got an opinion about what a heart for God looks like. You know, I'm describing part of a heart for God as a person who's just willing to run, just go all in. Just look, what, what, if, what if God said it's okay to be a little undignified? I think for some of us, it's against our religion to even think that way. What if God said it's okay? What if during worship, it was okay to have a heart very demonstrative of, I am passionately in love with Jesus? It's okay? For some of us, like, well, you know, pastor, is a demonstration necessary? Of course not. But here's what I know. When we're excited about something, there's usually some sort of demonstration. It's okay to run. It's okay to let it all hang out. But the Bible defines what a heart after God means in this particular case. It says, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Because he will do everything I want him to do. Look at me, listen, let's make an agreement right now. I want to do everything God wants me to do. In every area of my life, I want my marriage to be what he wants it to be. I want my job to be what he wants it to be. I want my thoughts. I want my activities. I want everything in my life to pattern after that. I want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart because I'll do everything God wants me to do. I won't hold anything back. I'll go all in. I love the idea of no reservation. I love the idea that you don't have to connect going all in for God with being 20 or 21 years old, but that at 48 or 58 or 68, you could be excited and passionate for the things of God. I love the idea that people could walk in here and find a different cut of people. Yes. Yes. 
because they're excited about what God is doing in their lives. Wouldn't it be great for it to be said of us above everything else? That is a church with a heart after God because they'll do anything that God says. Taking a sabbatical. More people than not said to me, I must be great having the time off. I didn't need the time off. I have a really good situation. I have vacation time. I have an awesome staff that helps me. I wasn't burnt out. I wasn't standing up here on Saturday and Sunday acting one way and then lying on my office floor convulsing. (laughs) True or not? I have a wonderful situation. So I wasn't taking a sabbatical because I needed time off. I was reading in the Gospels, Jesus' baptism, and it just simply said that immediately the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness where he fellowshiped with the Lord for 40 days and nights. And then he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I read that, and the Lord had said to me, John, immediately, follow me. And if you do it, you can return in the power of the Spirit. I want to be a man that no matter what God says, my life is in a position to be able to go, yes, God, I'll do exactly what you tell me to do. You know, I said... To the church, my, my, my biggest fear in doing it, uh, I felt like the Lord said, put the email, the phone away. How many of you, if you had to put your phone away, it would cause a little bit of... Be honest with me right now. Any, anybody? Yeah, thank you, one person. The rest are lying. I, we become very dependent on things. Marcus came to my house. On January 1st, and, and turn my email off. I can't believe how many times I went to check my email. <laughs> out of habit, an ingrained habit, to check a text. I thought, you know, this is going to. It is amazing when you go all in for what God says, here's, here's the benefit. God has things planned for you that he'll only give you if you'll do what he says. People are wanting God to touch them. People are wanting God to honor his promises. People are wanting God to show up in their lives, but they're not willing to do what God says. So what they want is, let me do it my way. Give me all the stuff. And I would say to you, God goes this way, you give me what I want, and I'll give you what you want. Do you hear that? Give me what I want. The last part of my message is where I feel like I'll camp, so let me move. Let me tell you the second thing I admire about David. David, regardless of where he was at in life, could be brought to repentance. We don't talk much about repentance. Repentance is not probably like the excited word. You know what I mean, Pat? I mean, like if you stand up and go, hey, 
How many of you would love to experience repentance? Raise your hand. Nobody, like, jumps up for that one. On this side, how many of you want to experience financial blessing? On this side, how many want to experience repentance? You know, people end up over here. In my mind, in my mind, the easiest way to tell where someone's heart is is to be able to look and see if they're able to repent. Repentance speaks of a lot of things. Humility, tenderness, openness, and ability to hear from God. Let me just hit this very quickly. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David ended up in this place in his life. You know, it's a terrible story. He spiritually was in a backslidden place. He wasn't sleeping. I, I think if you go back and look at that part of David's life, you want to see a man who's depressed? You want a definition for, depressing, uh, for depression? Look at David's life. The Bible says at the time when kings go out to war, David remained behind in Jerusalem. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He couldn't sleep. He's up all night walking around. The Bible says he looks from his roof and he sees a woman bathing and decides that he wants her. So he sends for her. He's the king. He sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and it's one of his general's wives who's fighting. The guy comes home from battle. David actually brings him home to cover it up. He thinks, if I can get this man to come home and sleep with her, it'll cover up the pregnancy. Everything will be okay. The guy doesn't want to come home. David forces him home. The guy won't sleep with his wife. He says, I need to be out on the field with my men. So David then resorts to ultimate treachery. He has the guy put in the heat of battle and murdered. He then takes the woman as his own wife and he thinks, hey, it's all said and done, scot free. And a little obscure prophet named Nathan comes to the palace one day knocking on the door. David thinks everything's good to go and everything's fine and Nathan walks in and he tells this little cute story. So there was this really wealthy guy that had every sheep in the kingdom except for one. And there was a real poor guy that had the one sheep, but it was a really good-looking sheep. And the wealthy guy decided he wanted the one thing that he didn't have. So he murdered the shepherd and took his sheep. Nathan said, what do you think God should do about that? David indignantly stood up and said, I think that if you tell me who that guy is, I'll have his life Before this conversation is over, one of the gutsiest moves recorded in history is that the prophet looks at him in the eye. And David could have had his head. And Nathan looks at him and said, you're the man. God knows what you did, and now everybody knows what you did. You're the king with all power. You could silence this guy instantly. You could call him a liar Have his head. But the Bible says it pierced David to his heart. He repented. There's a harsh, ultimate, out there story. But I throw it out to you just to say this. That in my mind, again, repentance is one of those things. It seems to be for younger people, we talk about repentance. One of the ways you know you're in the right place with God is that when you are older, you can repent 
easily when you hear things in your heart that you know are offensive to God. We seem to live at a time and a day and an age where people would rather be insulated and have things said to them that, that are not remindful of the fact that we need to be broken in front of God. And we need to be humble in front of God. And we need to be in a place where the Holy Spirit can put his finger on things in our lives and keep us in the right place. It's okay to teach this? Safety is in this message. Salvation is in this message. Hope is in this message. The outcome of this message would be that I would hope instantaneously that if you sit there and you hear this message, that you would say, I want my heart to be so tender, it will not offend me if my pastor were to point at something. It would not cause me to run from it or to flee from it or to reject it or to be offended by it. But rather, I would say, God, I'm all in. Anything you say, you can have any part of my heart and I'll repent of anything in my life. Yes or no? Anything. The third one that I wrote down there is one that, uh, you know, my staff and I talked about it this week. The staff said they had never seen it before. See if you had. David overcame tremendous rejection in his life. Let me, uh, let me tell you a story. When David's called to be the king, he's anointed. He's 17 years old. He's a kid. And the way that it happened prophet at that time had come to David's father, Jesse. And he said, the Lord has told me one of your sons is going to be the king. I want you to gather all of your sons together. We're going to have a dinner at your house. Let's get all your sons together. And the Lord's going to tell me which one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. Now, if that happened to you, any dads in the room? Any dads with sons? If a prophet came and said... One of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. Would you be a little excited for your sons? Would you throw a big... Would you, and would you make sure all of your sons are there? Just a simple question. Bill, would you make sure all... I mean, even if you had like six or seven kids, I think you'd remember. All six or seven need to be here at this deal. So, <clears throat> Samuel tells this to Jesse. Jesse puts the party together, brings his sons in, and the first one, the oldest one, the Bible says he's a good-looking kid, broad shoulders, he, he's cut, and, and the prophet, the Bible says the prophet records, this must be the one. And the Lord says, no, he's not the one. So he brings the next one. He's good-looking, but not quite as good-looking. The prophet goes, okay, that must be the one. And the Lord tells him, no, that's not the one. They go all the way down through the line, and God says no to every son. And the prophet looks at Jesse like, what's going on here? And the Lord said, now listen, don't look on the outward like men do. 
I look on the inside at the heart. Somebody's missing. So the prophet turns to the dead and he said, listen, God has rejected all of your sons. But there's supposed to be one. Is there one missing? And this is what Jesse says. He goes, yeah, there is one more, but it's impossible. So I left him out in the field to tend the sheep while you picked from amongst my other sons. Okay, look at me. I want you to remember. I'll tell you two things. Number one, Goliath may not have been the biggest obstacle that David had to overcome in his life. The biggest obstacle that David had to overcome, in my opinion, was a father who rejected him as worthy to be counted amongst the men of Israel. Let me say this to you. Any person in this room who has ever dealt with the wound of a father knows that is not a wound easily healed. The wound of a father, a father who rejects a son, a father who doesn't get it, a father who doesn't see it, a father who doesn't understand it, whether malicious or innocent, either way, that man who wounds that son or that daughter, I'm telling you right now, the biggest fight in your life will not be what the enemy throws at you. It will be overcoming the rejection of the one who should have favored you. Every dad in this room, don't shy away right now. The opportunity while you still breathe air is here to bless your child. If you remember nothing else that this pastor's ever taught, remember this. Put your hand on your son and your daughter and bless them. Tell them that they are acceptable. Tell them that they are worthy. Tell them that they matter. Tell them that their value is absolutely incalculable for God. Bless them. God created a father's ability to speak blessing over his child as second to none when it comes to being able to cause that child to move forward in life. We live for or from our father's smile. And if you make your children earn it, you are doing them such a disservice. Go home today and give them your favor. Give them your approval. Separate, if you must, behavior from person, but the person is approved and tell them so. You're quiet. Are you okay? I'm telling you right now, the greatest obstacle was not a 12-foot giant. It was not being 17 and having everybody else think you're unqualified. It was a father who should have said you're acceptable. It was a father who should have recognized early on how beautiful, how righteous, how qualified, how perfect.
like the Holy Spirit gave me this word. I felt like I was supposed to pronounce this over our church. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, it uses very difficult names here. The Bible tells us, Abishai, son of Zeruah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. It's a really cool story in that at this part in David's life, he was back on track, he was moving, he was doing great exploits for God, but he got old. Time does have a way, ultimately, of taking away prowess, taking away ability, huh? It does. I, I, how do you say it? Um, old age sucks. It just it is what it is, man. <laughs> David's men. You know, the Bible talks about David ended up, his, his fighting men, the Bible says they were the, the discontent, they were the rebel rousers. But the truth of the matter is, if you ever look at what their qualifications were, they had to be giant killers to hang out with David. And the rest of the story, Goliath had five brothers. When David picked the stones out of the brook, do you remember how many stones he picked? We read that story. Goliath was the main one, but he had four. There were five Goliath brothers. If you read the rest of this story, David's men end up killing Goliath's brothers. He turned them into giant killers. Let me me just point this out to you. The men say to David, never again are you going out to battle with us because we cannot risk you being hurt We don't want the light of Israel to ever be extinguished. Let me tell you what the Lord told me. Every one of us need to begin recognizing the special anointing that God has put into our life and begin to protect it and begin to watch over it and instead of treating it contemptuously, treating it casually, treating it like it's just everybody's got this, we need to begin to recognize the special thing that God's done in our life and begin to put it away and protect it so that it's never extinguished in our lives. Now, let me give you an example. I think what God has done for me, I think what makes me special what makes me different? Nobody else is allowed to tell me what you think. This is, this is what I think. I think God's given me unusual authority. I think that if you've ever heard when I talk about starting the church, the Lord gave me permission to start this church here and at this time. And I don't think, I want you to hear this, I don't think 
I could quit, move to another state, and just duplicate what I did. I think that I had a space, a place, a time that coincided with the authority that God gave me that wouldn't just work any place else, any time else, because I decided to go do it. I felt like the Lord is, what makes me unique and special is the authority God's given me for this time, for this place, to be pastor here. And let, me, let, me, let me throw it this way. You can buy a car, and a car comes equipped. Air conditioning, power windows, whatever, power steering, whatever. All cars are equipped to some degree. But a car is not authorized until it's licensed. All cars are equipped. All cars have a certain level to be able to do things. But until they're authorized, they're not legal. So that you could have the most powerful Ferrari in the world. But if it's not authorized, get that Ferrari out on the road and it gets around legal authority like a cop, yes or no, that person is completely paranoid and unable to operate. They're not free to go do what they were created to do. Now, I'm going to speak in terms of a pastor here. This, this, would, this would disqualify many people in the room, but, but just to say it on this level, that, that people just think, okay, because I'm, I'm called. I can go out there and do this. I can go start this church, or I can go lead this group of people, or I can go do this. Unless you are authorized, you are a usurper of authority, and therefore, around legitimate authority, you're not legal, man. And that's why it doesn't work. And that's why you get a pastor who may be very equipped, but if he's not authorized, he's doing it illegally, and the enemy then has the ability to come in and hinder, stop, mess the people up that are sitting out there listening. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? And I felt like here's what the Lord reminded me twice this week. He reminded me when I was praying on Monday, and then my friend DJ without knowing that God had spoken the whole thing on authority, sent me a word this morning reminding me of my authority using almost the exact words that God had given to me on Monday. And one of the things he put in his his little text to me today was, God wants you to have fun and run with the authority that he's given you. I don't... The authority that I have... I never want to abuse people with it. We don't stand up, jerk people around. We don't mess with people's money in this church. Yes or no? Am I, I see my authority as something that I'll have to give answer to God for. Therefore, it is so, I've, got to, I've got to protect it. I don't want the light of Israel to be extinguished in my life. So I must learn to protect the special thing that God's doing in me. Okay, look at me. What is God doing in you? What's ha- and if you're sitting there, you're going, I can't think of anything. You're the church. The gates of hell aren't supposed to be prevailing against you. You're supposed to be overcoming in every area of your life. The enemy is supposed to be under your feet. You are supposed to be victorious. You're called to be an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. Where's that word? 
And the only time I hear it anymore is when people are trying to use it with the idea of, of manipulating people to get money. I'm talking about your entire life. God has called you, man, the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. You are supposed to be running at full steam ahead right now, not worried about 31 feet, recognizing that if you ever did begin to run like that, the enemy would have to worry about you instead of you worrying about him. Where is that? Where is that passion and that killer attitude? Mercy for the beat up. Compassion for the broken. Let's go though beyond. Let's get healed. Let's get whole. And let's become the church. Let's pray prayers worthy. Big. Awesome. Audacious. Sun stands still prayers. Why should God make the sun stop? Pray a prayer that's worthy of it. Because if you don't, God, the enemy's going to win. Because if you don't, I'll lose my life. Because if you don't, my family will suffer. Because if you don't, I can't complete the call that you've given to me. doesn't matter. Hmm. What is God doing in your life? I got three minutes and 15 seconds. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to shut up. Let's get on with this right now. I, with the authority that God has given me, I want to call forth things that aren't as though they were. I want to call forth destiny, and I want to call forth ability, and I want to call forth right now what God has. I want to call forth. Father, in the name of Jesus, In the name of Jesus, that name that's above every name. That name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is Lord. That name is the name that I come with authority in. The authority that's been conferred on me. I boldly stand in front of this group of people. God, I use that authority right now. To call forth your purposes, your destiny, your thoughts, your ideas. Let's begin here. The Father has given us authority over sickness and disease. The Father has given us authority over infirmity. The Father has given us authority over weakness. 
if you need healing in your body, would you be so kind as to identify yourself right now? I need healing. I need to be healed. I need a physical healing in my body. Physically. I need God to touch me physically. Just allow the Holy Spirit right now. If you're like, man, I've done this 10,000 times and nothing has ever happened, we're going 10,001. We're running to 31 feet right now. Full steam ahead. If you need a physical manifestation in your body of healing, in the name of Jesus, I ask right now that the Lord of all touch you. Here's what I believe. Jesus Christ was beaten was whipped and he poured out his own blood so that you and I could be made whole spiritually and the Bible says physically I ask in that name with that work that it cover your body right now I don't, I just hear back. If it's your back, may the Lord speak healing and health over your back. If it is disease, cancer, I'm asking the Lord cause those cells to dry up and drop now in His name. If you are suffering in your mind, if you are being terrorized, if you cannot sleep, if the enemy is robbing you of your peace, he is a usurper of authority. Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom. I'm asking right now, peace come to your mind. If I'm speaking to you, I just want you to touch touch your temple. Just put your hand to your temple right now. In the name of Jesus, I ask that the Lord heal your mind. I ask that your thoughts become ordered. That voices stop. That the peace of God reign and rule. That when you lay your head down tonight, you'll sleep like you haven't slept in 20 years. You'll sleep the sleep of the innocent, of the secure, of the righteous. Mm, of the righteous. If the Lord is having His way in your life, then the fruit of that is going to be Peace, joy, patience, kindness and mercy and gentleness, self-control, love. And if you're not experiencing those things, we want to 
want to bring your life underneath his dominion right now. I want to bring you into his kingdom. So I, I would pray this. Your marriage, if you need a miracle in your marriage, you can't buy them. You can't bribe God. But I want you to know He is ultimate mercy. He is ultimately good. The Bible tells us we have not because we ask not. Let's ask the Father right now. If your marriage needs a miracle in it, I don't even I won't even have you identify yourself. I won't even have you put anything at risk right now in front of any human. But if what I'm saying penetrates darkness right now, I'm asking the Lord to renew your marriage. If you need to repent, I'm asking that the Lord right now would give you the grace to repent so that your marriage can be renewed. Huh. your finances if the devourer is eating them if the enemy has come to set up a picnic and he never left if he's eating everything the book of Joel says that the Lord will rebuke the devourer. That the Lord will give you back what the canker worm has eaten away. Here's what I'm going to pray right now. Father, every person in financial distress right now, God, I'm asking that you would pour out your mercy. God, that you would touch our lives. God, that you would strengthen. I'm going to say it again. If you need to repent in your finances, let your heart be soft before the Lord. Admit your mistake and seek his mercy. Seek his healing. Seek his graciousness. Hmm. I hear restoration. If you need restoration in relationship, restoration in just your soul, restoration in your faith. Boy, I just ask that the Lord right now would renew you, restore you, and refresh you. Mm. Church, don't sit there passively. Take hold. Stir yourself up. Grab hold of the Lord right now.
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And let's allow, let's allow ourselves then to pursue him. Let's, let's, let's take up that word. God is looking for those who will take him at his word. He is looking for those who can be impressed by what he says. Who want to grab hold of his promises. As we move into this time of worship, communion, opportunity just to respond, I want you, do not be passive right now. I'm speaking with all authority. Take hold of the promises of God right now. See yourself reaching out, grabbing hold. Take hold of him. Stir yourself up. Mm. Let's do it that way. Let's go ahead and have you stand to your feet. As our worship team takes us into this worship time right now, every campus, every person, every opportunity right now, say yes to God. Say yes to him. No matter what the Holy Spirit speaks to you right now, say yes to him. Be a man or a woman after his heart. Whatever he says, whatever he says, he tells you to repent, repent. Worship, worship. Listen, listen. Whatever he says, do exactly what he says. Father, seal this right now. We act upon it. We say yes to you and yes to your plan and purpose. Jesus' name, amen, amen.